Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. Today, we're going to be talking about motivation. I have a very special guest today. His name is Sharath Jeevan, and he's the author of the book, Intrinsic, A Manifesto to Reignite Your Inner Drive. And in this interview, Sharath and I talk a lot about maybe why we don't feel motivated right now and what we can do about that. And even some of the ways that maybe we were motivated before don't really work now after everything we've experienced after 2020. So if you're lacking motivation in your life, if you're looking to find your own inner drive, which I think is definitely something we can all benefit from right now. So Sharath, I want to welcome you to the Create What You Speak podcast. Thanks, Sloan. Such a pleasure to be, be here. So let's start out by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and your journey to writing your book and teaching others about intrinsic motivation. Thanks, Lon. I mean, the funny thing is that I'm not a psychologist by training. Um, I got the, into this really completely by accident. I was trying to found a, a nonprofit organization trying to focus on improving education quality in some of the most um, disadvantaged parts of the world, mm-hmm. uh, countries like India, um, Indonesia, Uganda, and so on. And what we found was that the key um, thing that we were trying to work on was how to help teachers in um, public schools find their motivation again yeah. at a very large scale. So India, for example, alone had built a million schools that hired 8 million teachers across the country. But um, that wasn't leading to really lasting change with kids because mm-hmm. teachers had lost that passion, that sense of vocation, that sense of intrinsic motivation. And the strange thing was, um, it wasn't really about money. I mean, the teachers were actually relatively well paid. They had reasonable working conditions, but there was something deeper going on. And I was trying to figure out how to actually um, address it. And what I found, there was lots of um, you know, great academic research out there. Um, you know, Dan Pink had written the book Drive, which was a lovely kind of summary of that about 12 years ago. But actually how to translate this into practice you know, yeah. in, in our lives personally, in organizations and systems, it was completely a black box. And that's what inspired me to think a lot about you know, what really drives people. And that initiative, STEER Education, reached about 35,000 schools, about 200,000 teachers and about 7 million kids. But the learning from that was so transferable. I really wanted to, to, to link that to other areas of our lives and work, and our personal lives, our relationships and our lives as citizens as well. Yeah, well, and it's such a, I mean, as I was reading the book and I was, I was thinking about what to talk about, you know, what I wanted to talk with you about today, you know, it got me thinking in my own life about motivation, because I think sometimes I I would like to consider myself a generally motivated person. Right. And so it, it, so even to think about motivation and what that means, what I found with this topic is it really started questioning my own motivations, right? As I was thinking about how to apply this in my life. And so before we maybe go on further, can you define what intrinsic motivation is for us? I just want to make sure we're all understanding that before we go further with this topic. Yeah. So let me maybe contrast intrinsic motivation, inner motivation, Sloan, with with the opposite, extrinsic or external motivation. I think of a, a car analogy, right? So imagine a car going on diesel. You know, you get from A to B. Um, most of the time, but it, it's really a very you know, pleasant ride. You're kind of choking 
with the fumes along the way. That's a bit like extrinsic or external motivation. You're doing something because something else is promised at the end. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, for me, it was a very big realization that so much of my life had been driven by external factors, right? You know, you know, right. I went to old, um, went to Oxford and Cambridge universities because they were meant to be the best universities to go to. That would get me a good job. I went into prestigious jobs because I believe that would help me. So it was all doing something because something else was promised at the end. And what yeah. we're learning with the research, it's a bit like kind of cholesterol. Um, you have good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. You know, you can go on either fuel. But in general, the more we can move our our motivational dial inwards um, towards intrinsic drivers, we're going to be happier, more fulfilled, and more successful in the long term. And that idea of, of really doing something, I think for the electric car, it's, it's engaging, it's deeply almost pleasurable. You're doing it because you love doing that thing and you deeply want to get better at that, that area of life. That's a much better way to ground our lives motivationally. Yeah. So you taking, instead of going for the end goal, because, you know, like you're saying, I mean, I did the same thing with my life, right? Did certain things because of what was promised at the end, the better job, more money, the whatever it might be. Right. And then, and I think you even mentioned this in, in the book, talking about this, about, you know, many people who get to the end of their life, look back. And instead of feeling happy, there's more of that emptiness and that, that bringing ourselves along um, based on, this belief that we ha- were this end thing is going to solve something for us, or this end thing is going to make us happier. Um, I think from your research, you found that actually wasn't the case. And this this inner motivation that we have, this intrinsic being motivated by our own, would you say by our, in, internally by our own selves, or how, how would someone recognize their internal motivation or their intrinsic motivation if you've been motivated by the extrinsic for so long? Yeah, so I think I think I think both are important. I should say, okay, we need a mix of both to be to be fair. But I think in general, what I'd say is our dial is in most cases has moved far more towards the ex- external, the extrinsic, than is really healthy long term. And the key is to kind of trust that, you know, building on what you said, that we can still be successful, but we need to trust the process. That if we do things we genuinely enjoy, we believe in, we feel are worthwhile, fulfilling and motivating, that will lead to success over the medium and long term. Yeah, uh, and just a really tangible example. I was at I was at the pleasure of being at Windsor Castle a couple of days ago. I received a you know a medal from the the royal family here the, in the Queen's yeah. Name, honors, and I was thinking about that in the context. You know, it was a lovely day, a very special day, of course. But um, I didn't, you know, when I was running the nonprofit I mentioned, Stair Education, I didn't wake up thinking about the medal. Right, that wasn't the reason I did yeah. it. It would not have been enough, and bizarrely, actually, it would have actually made it feel quite hollow. On the yeah. Tuesday, I said it was a wonderful surprise. What I really want to do is make a difference to kids. I wanted to be the, the best leader I could be. I wanted to navigate a very challenging uh, set of countries to work in, et cetera. It was such an incredible um, roller coaster. But um, by doing that, great things happened as a result. But I didn't try and target those things, if that makes sense. It does. And congratulations on your medal. I mean, that that is wonderful, a huge accomplishment. And the the... I, I understand completely what you're saying because I, I I've noticed in my own life maybe I was driven more by finances. Let's say, well, if I do these things that I hate for so long, at the end of this period of time, I'm going to be rewarded financially, right? And usually that backfires and it, it never happens. And and so I, I really and this is why I wanted to talk about this today because I think this is so important for the listeners to to remember to remind themselves to to understand if you're in a space where 
you're doing things that you don't know why you're doing them. And, and I think 2020 really made us question a lot of that stuff. Right. And in that, in, in, we're finding now as people are, and actually I just had this conversation this morning with a friend because it was like, we went into this place in 2020 where everybody was like, Whoa, what's going on. Right. And we had all this downtime where, where, um, things are changing. We can't do the things that we used to do. And then we're like, well, why did I even do those things that I used to do? And now as things start to pick back up again, and, and some of the things that we, it's like, which way do we want to go? Do we want to go back to that old way where we were doing things that we don't know why we're doing them? Or do we want to be like, wait a minute, I'm going to take the lessons I've learned and, and do something different going forward as things pick back up again. Yeah, and it was really um, interesting. So I wrote Intrinsic half um, half of it before the pandemic and half during the pandemic. So it was very surreal times you're writing. And I had to obviously yeah. think about a lot about what I was writing in the context of what happened and what I went through as well. And you've heard that that, that term that Adam Grant coined around languishing, that yeah. so many has felt the sense of we're treading water motivation, right? We're, we need to start swimming again, basically, at the core. And a lot of it, I think, is that we had sort of accepted certain things as almost the, the requirements of what we need to be successful. Yeah. And I think what the pandemic has given us is a space to say, actually, do we need to think that way? Can we think again? And so as the world, you know, opens up again, and we're back to, you know, London is incredibly busy where I sit, um, you know, how do we actually take the best of what um, was there before, but also fuse some new approaches to it as well? Right. I think it can be, but I mean, if you look at even some of the things that, I've happened with you know Elon Musk over the last few you know few uh, few weeks with Twitter and even the end of remote working there for example. Right, I just saw that. Of, yeah, kind of hankering for leaders, right, to kind of want to go back to what happened right before and almost pretend the pandemic never never right. happened. Right. I think instead, I think we've all had a chance to reflect and think about what really matters to us, and we realize that time is the finite commodity we all have, not money. Actually, time is the one thing we can't we we can't increase, we can't really or not we can't do much to increase, we can't really turn back that has a much bigger premium so how can we live our lives authentically uh, and really respecting that value of time yeah and that's something i've been struggling with personally as i figure out my own motivations after reading your book you know what 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 motivates me what may what what am i doing now and and i think the 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 changes that we experienced after 2020 and then incorporating those back in that's something i feel like i've been stumbling with because um it's such a different way we, we were a certain way for so long right and depending on your age you were doing those things longer than maybe somebody younger than you right and so when we start to when we experience something like we did in 2020 and then we go back to quote living, right. It's like, well, how do I do this now? These things that I used to do feel like, um, you know, maybe hollow, I feel hollow doing them. Or I, you know, I found myself a lot questioning, why do, why did I even do that? Why did I ever do those things? And it was like this momentum was going in that way. And I had never stopped to think, well, then you start to think about it. And then you're like, wait a minute, why, why was I doing those things? Right. And I know for me, it felt almost like, a like a sadness or something of letting those kinds of things go because I wasn't quite sure where I was going next, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think I, you know, I, I certainly, uh, for one, but so many people, I think, struggle with this question of purpose. That's the first pillar of intrinsic motivation. Yeah. I think what we didn't really realize was this difference between what I would call small P purpose and big P purpose. And you see this a lot with millennials, Gen Z now, who 
obviously things like climate change, inequality, some of these bigger themes, um, healthcare in the US, all these things, these are really important issues that everyone should be concerned with. And I think sometimes in our lives we have a chance to address some of these big P questions. So I had a chance, obviously, at the work in education to look at the whole question of educational inequality and how to try to improve that. I, I'm really proud of the work that I, I did. But at the end of the day, it's such a big intractable problem. I made a small dent in that problem. I think that was meaningful, but there's so much more that needs to be d- done. I think we can often get very lost by the big P questions. Yeah. I think we need to anchor back on the small P. And I define small P purpose um, as really how do we help and serve others each day, every day? Right. Yes, your podcast, I know, inspires so many people, Sloan, as well, right? to think differently, to think about their lives, have the reflective space. If we focus on that, the people we're trying to help and serve, really keep that relentless focus on that. It's a lot easier to see the impact we have on others, first of all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to stay motivated. And also, you know, any job, if you look at work, there's always some stuff that is not that exciting, that's quite mundane, yeah. quite dull but we can see how it fits into the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that that's a very good point because it's very easy to feel like, especially if, you know, with social media and the, our ability to just have access to any information anywhere, it can feel like, well, what's the point of me doing this when this and this and this are still going on. Right. But if we all took that, that space, what you're talking about to wait a minute, what, what is my sphere of influence? What can I, who can I, um, help and serve today that that completely shifts that that picture and it's like it's more empowering right it takes it gives us back the power and i think it's very easy and that's one thing i feel like i i fell into personally was well the problems are just so big there's nothing i can do about it yeah no i'm just gonna one example i talked about in the book is i was writing the book actually one day in a, in a bar in london and um i could see out of the corner of my the, the bartender spending about 45 minutes with a couple there it looked like a middle-aged man and his teenage daughter. And London bartenders are not generally known, um, uh, you know, for the generosity of time, as they probably aren't in Manhattan or anywhere else. Um, right. And so I went up to him and asked him, I said, what were you doing? Right? Why are you spending so much time with these these two? And he said, Sharon, look, what, what was in front of me where it was a, a middle-aged man who was divorced and his teenage daughter, and he was on visitation rights. Uh, and so he said, look, my job at that moment wasn't just to serve drinks, it was to forge a human connection. I had to make the, the dad look cool in front of his daughter mm-hmm. so she would want to spend more time with him. Wow, so again, yeah. You can, you, can, you can be a bartender and, you know, think of him. This is a very um, tough job. It's, you know, relentless. I just got to keep serving drinks. But what that bartender did brilliantly was think about the, you know, the broader small P purpose and what he was doing and bring that out. And I think that gave him a huge sense of meaning as well as clearly making a huge difference to people he was he was helping and serving as well. Yeah. And that's a wonderful example of that. Like if, if taking that initiative, accepting that role also, right? Because sometimes we don't accept the role of the small purpose of the day-to-day interaction. We go through life and, you know, float from one thing to the next, to the next. And it's very easy to forget about that small P that, that localized purpose. But I really love that reminder of, of that person doing that and, and choosing that role. Yeah, thanks. And I really, really, really encourage every listener to think about their own personal mission statement. So, right. you know, companies, organizations have a mission statement usually, but rarely do we have them as individuals. And I, I use these sort of um, scaffolding words of I help to and by. Um, and so my, my mission statement, for example, is I help leaders across sectors to navigate questions of motivation and direction by um, writing, facilitating and coaching. 
So again, who am I helping? What am I helping to do and buy? And it's a very, very simple piece, but just that little bit of reflection, it gives us a bit of a North Star, a compass to yes. to, to, to sort of um, align our lives towards. And what I would also encourage us to think about is how much of that time is actually being spent on that mission statement. Right. If it's, if it's a high, if it's a majority of time, you're probably going to be pretty motivated and happy and successful. If you're not, then what's getting in the way? What distractions are getting in the way? How can you um, offset that? And I think you can also uh, create a version of that, uh, you know, not just in work, but also as a parent or as a, a spouse or a partner or a citizen, for example, as well. Right. Well, and that one of the points from your book, you have a chapter on relationships. And I recently got married um, at the end of September. And so that that chapter on relationships, I was I was very interested in learning how to be a better partner, be a better spouse. And you talk about in the book about about people not having the motivation to even enter in a committed relationship anymore and how, but even though that's one of the few proven ways to achieve happiness. And then when people maybe get in a relationship, it's it's really easy to leave, right? It's just easy to take the exit and more difficult to understand how to sustain the relationship. So as far as relationships, what, what is, what would your advice be to people listening who are, maybe struggling in a relationship, looking for a relationship, afraid of a relationship. What did the research tell you? And what, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks. And I really enjoyed your episode, by the way, on uh, after you got married as well. I listened to that. And <laughs> it was really, really great to hear reflections <laughs> on that, which is fantastic. But um, yeah, so I think what's happened, the reason why I think we're so scared to enter a relationship and also a bit scared to sustain one is that I think our expectations have become um, really intense and probably over um, over realistic. Yeah. Um, and I think what's what's happening is we kind of want our significant other to be our our life partner, our coach, our financial guru, um, you know, be great physically, all of these kinds of things in one. And it's really hard for one person to fulfill all of those roles. And what I was trying to argue in Intrinsic was that I think the core purpose um, of relationships must surely be around emotional safety. We're yeah. in these really kind of, you know, this world of unknown unknowns, um, uh, as Alita said before, this idea of like we're navigating very, very complex times, both in the world around us, you know, look at what's happened from you know, COVID to the cost of living crisis, in our politics, but also in the way our economies work, right? And, you know, jobs are so much more fluid, so much more fast changing, um, our, our, our sort of friendships and so on as well. I think in, in, if, if um, our partner can be a, an emotional anchor to us yeah. and really allow us to be, feel safe, that's probably the most powerful thing we can do but also, and here's the kind of irony that I think it's important that we also have a broad network of, of, of people around us, friends, family, colleagues, um, you know, community members, et cetera, that we also learn and grow with. I think trying to rely on one person for all of those needs is probably unrealistic. Yeah. And I like that, that reminder of that, uh, that safety zone with the partner, right? As the as anybody listening, being a safe space for the partner, but then also having a partner that is safe space for you. Um, because I, I, I know, I mean, in my own experience, when you have that safety, then you feel free to be yourself. You feel free to be, do those things that you enjoy or, you know, cause you're not having all this energy spent on trying to work through the, those parts of the relationship or, or, you know, that all that extra energetic space that goes into that. And so that, that safety, and, and, and even as you pointed out, no one person can be everything for everybody. So still having those interests that maybe your partner isn't maybe 
necessarily interested in, but being able to still do those kinds of things on your own to get that fulfillment there. Um, but then knowing you can come back to your partner in that safe space. Yeah, so no, to take a very personal example, I, I had a very high flying job in, in strategy consulting with a, a firm called Booz and Company. I'm one of the big uh, strategy firms and I left all of that to go into running a nonprofit organization. So, you know, suddenly very different, um, you know, pay levels, very different conditions, um, different uh, places where you board a plane, all of these kinds of things. Right. So I think we're lucky to have a wife who's very accepting of that. But it would have been very easy for Anna uh, to say, look, I, when I married you, you were in this position. I, I, I imagine you would live this kind of life, for example. And so I think the idea of being unconditional in that, um, in, in that trust we place in our partner, letting them grow and develop, and embracing yeah. that, what can happen instead is we feel fearful that that person is changing. It's not the person I married or I started to go out with or whatever it might be. I think that ability to let people grow and actually be a, a almost a, a constant rock that enables them to, to flourish and find their purpose in life and let that evolve. That's going to be, I think, increasing the, the focus of relationships today. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. And I love that that reminder and that, that look at, at, at relationships a little bit differently, because that's, um, that's not often talked about. And, you know, it, it seems like the same old relationship advice is, is regurgitated time and time again, but it doesn't seem like that advice works. <laughs> so I feel like that chapter and what I liked about talking about this was it's a, it's a new way to look at, um, at something that maybe people might feel like they've tried everything, you know, they've tried to do everything. Yeah, and I think a part of the message I think is, is, is um, in the book around this was basically simplifying. So we don't need to be so quite so ambitious. We can be more realistic, but we can be more there for our partners and more present and um, yeah, be, be more effective in, in the process. Yeah. And so as I was listening to you talk about, about your journey and about how you went from a, a consulting job and I, I used to travel full time. So I fully understand the travel benefits and you're used to flying a certain way, used to certain hotels. And then you, you shifted gears and you went into the nonprofit sector. And as you think back on your journey through when you started with intrinsic and, and where things are now, cause I know you do a lot of consulting for larger companies. And as you said, you just got an award at Windsor castle. I mean, all of these amazing things. How do you feel about your journey when you look back on it and, in, in you know, sitting here today, talking about it? Yeah, so I think what was really, um, what I think I, I really feel lucky to have done something is to sort of follow my curiosity and follow what I was deeply interested in. So the whole, you know, I, I never thought I'd be an expert on intrinsic motivation and leadership. I mean, that was never a game plan, but right. that's what I had to do to solve a really important problem. So often I think as leaders, if we can, and, and people, if we can get lost in what we're trying to do and not worry so much about, putting names or labels on it, but just following and trying to help and serve others and going on whatever that path and wherever it takes us, you know, being really deeply immersed, deeply curious. I think we get to really interesting places that we would never have imagined yeah. um, before. It's so that kind of very linear view of, you know, of work, careers, life in general, it just doesn't really hold anymore. I think we don't know what the future holds rather than trying to predict the future better, which I think is ultimately pretty futile we can do is just be more immersed in the present and and use that to build the future as we go that's to me my, my sort of biggest learning from my own journey of, um, as a result yes that being present a reminder of being present and also you know it you know we were at least it feels like for me it, it was like you were taught that life is going to follow this path like a game board right you're going to go to and then you move to this step and then you move to this step and you know that's 
maybe it is some people's path, but that those twists and turns. And when we allow ourselves to go on those twists and turns, that's when that that's living, right? That that's, that's living, not, not robotically going from the next stage to the next. And that what we've been talking about today with motivation and that inner drive within ourselves and why we're doing what we're doing. It, as, as I also read in your book, you talk a lot about being optimistic too, about things. And that's something, honestly, that's something I've struggled with too, because I feel like, I mean, again, if I feel a little unsure about where I'm going, then it feels a little hard to be optimistic about it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, the whole question of optimism, I think we're in a world um, where I think our, our mental models may not have caught up with the world we live in now. And what I talked about in the book is this idea of a, a kind world and a wicked world. And uh, let me give an example. So kind, you know, Elon Musk gets us to, you know, to space and Mars, SpaceX, an incredible achievement, right, for, for humankind. But ultimately, I would describe that as a, as a kind problem, right? There is a, there's an algorithm, a, state, um, a technical way of getting uh, a probe into, into the orbit, if you look at what happened, you know, days after um, SpaceX a couple of years ago, Black Lives Matter erupted across across Minneapolis and other other cities, that's the ultimate wicked problem. There is no, you know, we're never going to be able to fully solve racial injustice, police uh, behavior, inequality, all of the questions that sort of raised. So I think we're in a world where there are very many fewer right answers and very very few predetermined answers anymore. And I think the challenge often we face in motivation is we, we keep looking for these answers, thinking there is a right answer. Yeah. Instead, it's almost that confidence that we'll create this together by, by deeply exploring and going on that journey and being intrinsically motivated, having a strong sense of purpose. We talked about having a, a sense of autonomy, the sense of being in the wheel of our lives, and that sense of mastery, be able to get better and better at what we're doing as we go on that journey. So I think in that way, it's much more... Um, likely will be optimistic. So we don't have the unrealistic expectation of a perfect straight line that our, our lives are going to follow. Yes. Yes. I can, yes, I can totally see that. And that, and also that, um, it, it, it seems like there was, there's an expectation that there's only one right answer, right? And if I don't do the one right thing, then I failed, right? But there's many, many answers. There's many possibilities. And I think sometimes we forget to open ourselves up to that. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, so I'm, I'm teaching right now at Oxford and Cambridge universities. Uh, so one of the things I'm doing with students there um, is look at this whole question of, you know, the the how matters so much more than the what, right? So yeah. it's less important, I think, what career you go into. I think there's so many opportunities now for, for young people to explore in so many things. And there's a, you know, 70% of the world's jobs have not been invented yet, right? So yeah. this, we have no idea what's going to come in the future. So the what question, I think trying to, you know, um, find a right answer to that is, is ludicrous. What's better, I think, is is to actually find something you're deeply interested, you're passionate about, you'll work really hard at, you'll become a real, you'll develop real mastery in. That will take you into lots of new directions as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really you know, how you show up, how you engage, how you um, really motivate yourself and others around you. That's much more important, I think, to success today than, than actually the choices you make, the actual answer. It's more yeah. the how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. What would you say the biggest thing or the biggest piece of advice you'd have for others um, that you've learned along the way in your journey? Yeah, so I think this idea that really lasting motivation comes from within. I think if we keep looking for external sources of motivation, they're only kind of, you know, uh, 
they're a bit like Tylenol, you know, they can they can dull the pain, but they're not deep. Yeah. They're not going to solve that underlying problem. I think it's really about figuring out who you are as a person. What is your sense of purpose? How do you want to help and serve others, both in your, your work life, but also your personal life? What really matters to you in terms of autonomy? You know, How do you want to take the wheel? Um, how can you feel in control of the journey you're in? And what do you want to develop mastery in? What, what, you know, what do you want to become really expert at and learn more and more about? I think if you can kind of configure those elements of the dial and move that dial more inwards towards um, your own sense of motivation, also trying to not compare yourself to others. We have such a strong comparison culture. I think social media, of course, has you know, exploded that. But if we can really think about not worrying about, is this the right path or what you know, my neighbor did or my friend did? Is this the path for me? Yeah. And I'm making progress on that path. That's a much more reassuring way of living, I think, as well. Yeah. I totally agree. And Rob, I want to thank you for joining us today. This is such an important topic. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad we we're able to have this conversation. Um, before we close out, what do you hope people learn or take away after reading your book? I think back to your word of optimism. Um, so I really like that that word. Yeah. I think that, yeah. that we can do this. We can find motivation. We don't need the world to be perfect um, uh, to, to do that. We can do that in a very imperfect world. Yeah. And actually, if we can sort of show up differently and be intrinsically motivated ourselves, have those elements of purpose, autonomy, and mastery, will be a really powerful ripple on others as well. And we'll, you know, I'm a big, big believer in leaders. I work with leaders all over um, in large corporations, to governments, to foundations. But as leaders, if we can also role model that, we will set the culture for our organizations and our society um, as well. So there's a profound message of hope that this doesn't require lots of money. It doesn't require, you know, uh, massive changes. It just requires that inward, um, that willingness, as you said, to be vulnerable and look at our own lives and say, what really did drive us and what what do we want to drive us going forward? Yeah, and listening to that too, right? Listening to that, what what we hear within ourselves. Exactly, and then not being scared to, um, you know, design your life around those principles and try to go. And it's never perfect. Of course, we have to make compromises. We've got to pay the bills. We have responsibilities, all these things. But Almost always when I you know, work with senior leaders, for example, in almost any sector, the big realization is they have a lot more autonomy than they think. Mm. There's so many opportunities they can they can do that it was just often a, it's a mindset thing that yeah. they've always excluded so many things they could do that if they can bring that and see that sense of possibility that they can change their life and also shape it in the way they really want to and actually engage people that they care about, their, their loved ones, their friends, their colleagues at work, um, most of them will buy into that and support them on that journey also. Right. Yes. Well, again, Tarath, amazing book. Congratulations on all your success. I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation today. Uh, before we close out, can you tell listeners how they can find out more about you and your book? Thanks. I know um, so the book is, is called Intrinsic. Uh, if you can find it on Amazon and other um, other bookstores. Um, and I write a lot on LinkedIn uh, and pretty much every week share something new in that motivation leadership front as well. So if anyone's interested, please just follow me on LinkedIn uh, under my name, um, Sharath Jeevan. And finally, intrinsic-labs.com. Intrinsic-labs.com is the um, address of my website where I work with leaders and organizations, but there's also tons of resources, all free and open uh, for, for those who want to go deeper into any of these areas there as well. Amazing. And I'll put all the links in the show notes so the listeners can find that easily. Thanks so much for the conversation. I've hugely enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. 
You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more. Oh,